I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Our scripture reading is 1 Timothy chapter 1. Once again, looking at the first 11 verses. Reading from the English Standard Version translation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away from, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they may confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral the men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you this morning for the grace of your word that you've given to us a sure and certain revelation inscripturated as a primary means to speak to us, to communicate to us this blessed gospel, this good news, this story about Christ, uh, the one who is the Redeemer, God who became incarnate in the flesh, uh, that he might bear our sins upon the cross, resurrected, ascended at your right hand, and thereby continuing his great ministry toward us, as our high priest interceding for us. And we would pray this morning that as we consider what Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, that we would be gospel-focused. We would understand your concerns, Father, uh, the concerns for the church, the body of Christ, uh, what is necessary and needed for our edification and growth and grace, what will happen with us as we pay attention to your word and find our minds renewed by your word so that we can be faithful disciples of Jesus, so that we can be salt and light to this world, even to our generation. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, uh, just a bit of review. Uh, we started 1 Timothy last week. We read through the first 11 verses. We focused mostly on verse 2. 
that statement that is really a kind of a pregnant statement where Paul refers to Timothy as his dear child in the faith, a very relational kind of statement. And so that's what we focused on last week. We focused on the idea of Paul's relationship to Timothy demonstrating to us that as believers, uh, we ought to have a right kind of caring toward one another. In fact, I said last week, as we look at the first 11 verses, that there are three principal things that we need to be concerned about. Uh, A right caring for one another, a right thinking about the truths of the faith, and then a right living in accordance with the gospel. And this morning we're going to look at the second of those. Uh, We can't really comprehend, cover sufficiently and adequately deal with all three of those. So we're going to look at right thinking this week and then next week right living. All of this in accordance with the gospel. We also said last week that uh, the book of 1 Timothy is a message to the church at Ephesus. Uh, The book of 2 Timothy is a message to the church at Ephesus. The book of Ephesus is a message to the church at Ephesus. And then I said there were two more messages to the church at Ephesus that we find in the New Testament. Uh, I thought about saying something like this, and if you weren't here last week, you'll just have to look that up. (laughs) But the two other messages that we find in the New Testament to the church at Ephesus would be the uh, message that the Apostle Paul had to the elders of the church at Ephesus at Miletus uh, as Paul is journeying on from Uh, the Greek area, Macedonia, down to Jerusalem. He stops along Asia Minor, the coast. He summons the elders of Ephesus to come to him, and he gives them a very profound message in Acts chapter 20, uh, beginning at verse 17. And then Christ, the very first of his seven epistles in the book of Revelation, gives a message to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you were to read all of those messages, and if you were to try to say, well, what binds these messages together, you can see that there's a double shared concern. There's a concern for gospel truth and an equally prominent concern for gospel love. There's the highest concern for truth. There's an equally high concern for love. And as you think about the entire book of 1 Timothy, even as you might reflect upon the book of Ephesians, or even as we would go to uh, the book, uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, you'll find these concerns, this twin concern, dominating the whole sense of the message. Which is to tell us something that God's great concern is twofold. That we would know and understand the truth. That we would know and understand God's own love. These two must never be separated. We live in a day and age in which, among so-called Bible-believing Christians, uh, this separation between truth and love is not only practiced, it's strongly endorsed. 
you have people who, who basically say something like this. When you get too concerned about truth in terms of doctrine and teaching doctrine and teaching, quote, the doctrinal stuff in the Bible, you're going to lose a heart for love. Um, I remember a few years ago, Jeff Northway came to me and said, you know, the church that, that I used to go to has as one of their banners, not creeds, but deeds. <laughs> that is to say, we're not interested in creeds. We're not interested in defining the Jesus you believe in. We're just concerned about encouraging you to love this Jesus and to be a loving human being. That is to say, in their minds, and this is widespread within the evangelical church in America, uh, if you're very much concerned about truth, you can't be concerned about love. And if you're super concerned about love, then you're not going to worry about the truth. This is satanic. This is um, separating what God has joined together. And it's the burden of the Apostle Paul as he gives these instructions to Timothy, a young pastor, uh, all through the book of 1 Timothy and all through the book of 2 Timothy, that he must work out all of the applications and implications of gospel truth ministered in the context of gospel love. And so that's what I want us to be thinking about this morning. That is our overarching concern as we look at 1 Timothy, but it's also our particular concern this morning as we focus upon this matter of right thinking, as we focus upon verses 3 through 7, right thinking. Now, the way we're going to look at right thinking is going to be uh, the way Paul looks at right thinking, it's, it's from the negative. That is to say, Paul has to address the negative. But in addressing the negative, we have to remember the positive. Paul is going to address false teaching, false teachers, and a false motivation. Those are the three things we're going to look at in these verses. But in addressing false uh, teaching and false teachers and false motivation, when he's addressing it in terms of what is negative, what is wrong, what's injurious, what hurts the church, what is he endorsing? He's endorsing the truth that we find expressed down in verse 11. What does verse 11 talk about? It talks about the, the gospel, uh, which is the glory of the blessed God. The truth of the good news and, and you can't think about the truth of the good news without thinking instinctively, reflexively of John 3.16. What is the great truth of the gospel that God has so loved the world? Gospel truth inseparably connected to gospel love. And so when we look at the concerns for false teaching and false teachers and a false motivation, what Paul opposes because of its falseness reminds us of what Paul must endorse because of its rightness. The rightness of thinking properly about the gospel because that is the sure and certain path into gospel love. So, I want us to begin then by looking at uh, beginning at verse 3 and to think about uh, right thinking in the context of what Paul instructs Timothy to address. 
first of all, false teaching. So you look at verse 3. Paul commands, verses 3 and 4, that the false teaching must stop. Very clear. You know, Paul is a master trainer. If he were your supervisor at work, you would love him. There would be no ambiguity about his expectations for you. He would be a wonderful supervisor because uh, you show up for the job and, and you, would, you, would, you would basically say, what am I supposed to do? <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul would be very direct. This is what you need to do today. This is your job description. This is what you must do to fulfill the purpose of your job today. Paul is very direct toward Timothy. Um, I have left you at Ephesus in order that you can would command certain persons not to teach. And then he goes on to describe the things that are not supposed to be taught, false teaching. Uh, he mentions, first in the order of things, false teaching. We get the word heterodoxy from that. Uh, hetero meaning different. But the falseness here is that which is different, not in the sense of another way of looking at that which is right, but it's false because it's looking at the right thing in the wrong way and it's failing to look at the right thing altogether. It's the promoting of something that's wrong. False. And then he mentions myths. And then he mentions endless genealogies, which commentators are divided. It could be either the genealogies of the Old Testament, studying them to no proper ultimate good, or it could also apply to the Gnostic religious ideas. They had all these spiritual genealogies. Uh, at the top was the unknown God. And then coming all the way down were these different spiritual levels of being. And so genealogies there would speak of the origin and development and ascent and descent of all these kinds. Either way, Paul says that the outcome of this are speculations. The outcome of this is that which works against the stewardship of God, which is by faith. Now, the word stewardship there is an interesting word in the New Testament because it has a variety of meanings. But as it applies to God's concern in the world, uh, the stewardship is really the entire redemptive plan that's designed toward Christ and focused in Christ and revealed in Scripture. So it's really... Uh, the plan of salvation. Uh, but the stewardship is also that which Paul has entrusted to Timothy because as a faithful pastor, it's his job to properly present, teach, develop, explain the whole counsel of God, which is this stewardship by faith. Now, Paul says, stop this false teaching. Bring it to an end. Don't let it continue. Now, think with me why this is important. 
think for a moment about information communication in general from God's perspective. Let me say something here that I hope you will hold on to and see its application all throughout life, but specifically with respect to being part of the church. According to the word of God, it is evil to communicate or transmit information that is false, information that is untrue, especially to those who have the God-given right to the truth. Now, we can call this a lie. We can call this in a court of law perjury, bearing false witness. But we need to understand fundamentally to communicate information, to transmit information that is untrue to people who have the right to the truth is a great evil in the eyes of God. The church has the God-given right to the truth and the whole truth of God and nothing but the truth of God. So help us, God. So help us. The church has the God-given right to the truth of God. And so for teachers to come in who are going to transmit information that is contrary to the truth of God, that is a great evil. False teaching is a great evil. But understand as well what happens when false teaching is disseminated within the church. False teaching is theft. It's the theft of the opportunity and time that God would give you to be listening to and to be instructed by that which is true. Because for every moment these false teachers were teaching at Ephesus and they had an audience of believers, those who were believers were being robbed of the opportunity to actually be hearing and listening to and being edified by gospel truth the opportunity could never be reclaimed. Uh, Yesterday's hours can never be reclaimed if we were unfortunately sitting under teaching that is not the truth. So twin evils. False teaching is deceptive with those who have the God-given right to the truth. And false teaching is a theft of an opportunity believers had to actually be listening to and hearing the truth. And either way, uh, the consequence is, the tragedy is, they have lost opportunity to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that Paul does here is he instructs Timothy to address false teachers the false teachers who are promoting this false teaching. Going down to verse 6 and 7, Paul describes those who are responsible and he describes what is wrong with them. So, reading verses 5 and 6 together, Paul says this, For the aim of our charge, 
Now, the word aim there uh, can mean goal or objective. And the word charge there is the strongest word for instruction or teaching. So it's all about instruction. It's all about teaching. But it's similar to the concept and idea that you find Jesus stating in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Because we have to understand that God's teaching comes to us with such authority that it is to be listened to, it's to be obeyed. Uh, Even things that are not directly a command are to be things that are received and we submit to. Uh, For instance, in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's a direct statement about the incarnation, right? Is it a command? No. But does it have the force of a command in terms of something we ought to believe and must believe to be Christians? Absolutely. So all of God's teaching is like the Old Testament law, which is called Torah. And Torah means both law and instruction. And so in verse 5, Paul is stating it very clearly. The aim, the goal, the objective of our Torah, our law, our instruction, our charge is love. And he goes on to describe not just love absent of anything else, but love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, verse 6 becomes the description of what's problematic about the false teachers. Certain persons, by swerving from these, that is a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, having swerved from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. Discussion that's useless. Discussion that has no power and ability to edify. A discussion that actually, because it's vain, is going to subtract from the people of God rather than add to the people of God. So they have swerved from these things. Uh, So that tells us that the false teachers have a problem internally because they have swerved away from the right kind of pure heart and conscience and faith. They have a problematic spiritual condition. We can say they've swerved. They're off the rails. Uh, The Greek behind the word swerve is a very strong word. It means to deviate, to depart, miss the mark, to fail, to abandon the truth, to lose one's way. This is serious. It is serious because false teachers, by their false teaching, are destructive to the body of Christ. It's serious because false teachers are themselves instruments of the satanic darkness that oppresses and obstructs the church and the grace of God. Later in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, chapter 4 actually, he's going to speak of false teachers again. And he's going to say that in latter times, there are going to be men who are going to follow uh, the uh, evil spirits and the doctrines of demons. 
we ought to adopt Paul's perspective. False teachers are the instruments of the domain of darkness. Uh, It's not like they're just out there in some kind of neutral category or neutral situation. Uh, From the Christian perspective, we look at the world of paganism. And we would look at something like magic. And we would say, uh, it's all dark. It's all black. Now, pagans want to say, oh, no, there's white magic and black magic. God's perspective, sorry, but if you're involved in occultism, it's all black. In the same way, if you're opposing the ways and will and truth of God, it's not like you're some category of, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white scholar, I don't believe in God, but what I teach is good. No. It's all black. It is all the influence of the domain of darkness in terms of, of what's being taught, because what's being taught is inconsistent with, it's opposing to, it's opposite the Word of God. These men had swerved the extent that they had gone off the rails. And what they're doing is destructive to the body of Christ. So that's the internal character of them. The second thing that Paul points out is that they were also externally unsound. If they were internally unsound, they were also externally unsound by virtue of their lack of qualification to be doing what they're doing. Uh, Paul points out that they desire to be teachers of the law, and law there could be narrowly, in a narrow sense, just the first five books of the Bible, but the law was also used in the New Testament to express all of the Old Testament scriptures. So whether it's just they want to teach the Mosaic law or whether they want to teach all of the Old Testament, the point that Paul is making is they're unqualified to be doing this They don't have the training to be doing this. Uh, They are, in fact, without understanding. They are without comprehension. They're ignorant. And yet they speak with confident assertion. They've not been properly trained in the Scriptures, but they're acting as though they actually have been. And it doesn't bother them that they have no real qualifications. Paul is telling Timothy, stop such men. Stop men who internally have swerved away from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sound faith. Stop men who uh, confidently go before an audience proclaiming and teaching that which they are ignorant of, truly ignorant of. Timothy Stop it. Shut it down. The third aspect of this involves an understanding that Paul is presenting here of false motivation. Where you have false teaching by false teachers, you're going to have false motivation. 
there's a lesson here. We're often quick to say about somebody, oh, he means well. <laughs> he means well. And, and Scripture might challenge us to say, probably not. He probably doesn't mean well. Because what is so wrong with respect to these false teachers, and we can see this, is that they are guilty of the same kind of pride that in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul associates with the fall of the devil. The fall of the devil. Because those who teach without truly being qualified to do so, are on a trip, an ego trip, an arrogance trip, a pride kind of trip. What motivates them is a false motivation. In other words, here are these men seeking an audience to listen to them. And the reason why they're doing so is because they desire to be teachers, even in the absence of a qualification to do so. When people step up and believe they can do things for which they have no real qualification. And we give such people an audience. We have fed their sinful pride. There's no humility. What they're doing is that which builds up themselves. It exhibits a false motivation. Now, in contrast, Paul is going to tell us what the right motivation should be, what the right motivation must be. This is so Timothy, as he's teaching, as he's stopping false teachers and stopping false teaching. It's so he can say to the people of God, Here's the gold standard. Here's the thing you need to understand. Because all action and activity begins in our motivation. It begins in our objective. It begins in our reason for why we're doing something. It all begins there. Verse 5, Paul says, For the aim of our charge is love. That's what Paul says. Or the goal of our instruction is love. Alternative translation. What Paul is emphasizing is, is that godly truth, if it's real, if it's really what it's supposed to be, godly truth is going to be presented with one chief aim, one chief goal, one chief purpose, and that is godly love. So the, the New Testament is going to teach, contrary to all of the world's ideas about love. The New Testament is going to teach that godly love 
is love that isn't self-serving. It isn't self-seeking. It's not selfish or self-centered. It doesn't seek its own. It's not proud or boastful or arrogant or conceited. It doesn't seek its own attention. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Godly love is what we see exhibited in the centrality of the gospel. Paul writes about it this way in Ephesians 5, the first couple of verses. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Godly love serves other human beings. Godly love serves sacrificially. And that's to say that the right kind of gospel teaching will aim at promoting in the lives of Christians the calling to godly love. The right kind of gospel preaching and teaching will promote godly love. The call to understand the love of God in Christ. The call to receive and experience this love of God in our lives. The call to live in this love and how we live towards other human beings. Now, just simply to pull this all together. You can't disassociate right thinking from gospel love. You can be the most biblically reformed and precise and exact thinker and not be a Christian. The Apostle Paul says, you could have the faith to move mountains. You could speak in the language of, of angels or, or any kind of foreign language. If you don't have love, this gospel love, you're a sounding gong. You're a clanging cymbal. The goal of our instruction, the aim of our charge is love. Godly love. Be imitators of God and walk in love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love gospel truth. Love it because gospel truth, listened to, submitted to, will lead you into gospel love. And when Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, he said, By this shall all men know that he was sent from the Father by believers, having love for one another. Let's pray. 
Father, give us the grace to understand how vile it is that we love your truth and find that truth working in us to love, to love you, to love Christ, to love others. We know it's a cost. It cost you the death of your son to love us. But you were so willing to do so. For us to love others is costly to us as well. But you've called us by your word to imitate you and to walk in love. May it be so. May it be our witness to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.